Now, back to the Frontier Freedom Hour with Jeff Hunt, sponsored by Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Here's Jeff Hunt. Colorado Christian University. I love to hear those words. I'm so proud to be able to work at this institution. You're listening to the Frontier Freedom Hour. My name is Jeff Hunt. I'm the chief wagon boss of this operation. CCU is a university on a mission, a university with a strong foundation on Jesus Christ and the Bible. CCU is launching accountants, business leaders, counselors, pastors, teachers, musicians, communication experts, engineers, nurses, and so much more into this world with over 200 degree options. CCU is the university for the next chapter of your life. The College of Undergraduate Studies is home to more than 1,500 traditional undergraduate students. That's that's normal college that we all kind of think about when we think of college. You know, you got basketball games, you got soccer games you get to go to, dances, all that kind of fun stuff when you're a young person. CCU has that, but it's so much more than that. The College of Adult and Graduate Studies offers undergraduate, graduate degree programs to over 8,000 adult learners worldwide. More than 90% of CCU's adult students complete their degrees online through CCU Online. So I know as an adult, it's a challenging time. You've got uh, jobs, you've got commitments, you've got family responsibilities. Well, CCU Online will work with you to find that degree to open up that next chapter of your life. So go to ccu.edu, ccu.edu. Be a part of the number five most conservative school in America. We're proud of Christ and the Constitution at CCU. Friends, we're talking with Representative Stephanie Courage Luck, who stood strong against the radical abortion bill at the state capitol. Ultimately, it passed, but it didn't pass easily. I believe the filibuster was nearly 24 hours, and I want to ask Rep. Luck what that was like, this historic moment down at the state capitol. Representative Luck, thanks so much for joining us. Give us insight. What was that like down at the state capitol uh, during that historic filibuster? Obviously, it was grievous that we were even having the conversation, a conversation about whether it's appropriate for elective purposes, right? We're talking uh, for the purposes not of medical, um, well, for elective purposes, <laughs> my apologies, whether or not it's appropriate to kill another person. So, you know, boiled down, is it is it appropriate if a woman doesn't have enough letters after her name or dollars in her bank account, time in her schedule, is it appropriate to kill another person? I mean, that, that really is what we boiled it down to. This, this was a, a conversation about should a woman who just doesn't want the consequences of her actions, because we have to remember that over 95% of abortions, of elective abortions, are performed on women who engaged in conceptual sex. And so mm. when we talk about bodily autonomy, the bodily autonomy piece is was decided when she and her mate engaged in that activity. What do we then do with the consequences of that activity? Is she permitted to take the life of someone as a result of her just desire not to not to suffer the consequences of that decision? And that's really what we're talking about when we talk about abortion. We're not talking about the woman who had a miscarriage and there has to be a procedure in order to, to take that child out to ensure that the mom doesn't get that doesn't get sick. You know, we're talking about a live child who is growing 
and the parent just simply says, I don't want it. I don't want it because it's a girl and I want it a boy. I don't want it because it's the wrong race or, or it has a disability status. I don't, I don't want it for whatever reason. Are we going to be a culture? Are we going to be a society that says, okay, that's fine. You, you, you can kill someone um, for any of those reasons. And, and I'm being very plain in my language because I fear that when we use words like abortion, they come with definitions they come with understandings that may or may not be true. Let's just put it in plain terms. Now, that's hard for a lot in our culture because we know that at least one in four people, one in four people who are listening to your radio show are post-abortive. Mm. And many of them are suffering from, from mental anguish, from emotional anguish as a result of that decision because in, in many instances they were lied to or they were pressured. We, we know the data. We know that between six and seven women report that they were pressured to have an abortion by their significant other, by parents or grandparents, by their boss or their their teacher or their coach. And and so they didn't walk in that as a true choice. And now they're suffering from the consequences of that because there are so many women who wake up at 2 and 3 in the morning or who grieve all day on the day when that child was supposed to be born or the day of their abortion. And, and, and they feel like they are suffering alone because the culture is saying, it's okay. And they're saying, then why do I feel like I'm feeling? And so this conversation is, is wrapped up in so much more than just policies and this law. It's wrapped up in the hearts and the minds and the relationships that we have, that we experience. And, and I see um, a generation of walking wounded. And I'm grateful for the Dobbs case because by removing the veneer of constant it has opened the door for more women to go and to seek post-abortive treatment, post-abortive care. But as we were talking about this on the floor of the House, as we were battling over it in committee, that we're out, outnumbered right, in the committee hearings, the number of people who were there saying, let us be a people of life. Let us stop this horrible policy. Let us not impose this on the next generation of women. It was a lie, right? We believe that this would bring freedom for women, and in fact, it's done the opposite. It's brought bondage of, of unmeasurable amount. And we've heard over and over and over, and yet there was um, there was no change in, in the vote. And in some ways, there was a, a doubling down, a no, we are going to do this, and we are going to do it proudly. But behind the scenes and off the mic, I had some really interesting conversations with my colleagues on the other side of the aisle who said, you know what, we never understood why you guys were, were pro-life, right? Why, why you didn't agree with abortion. We thought you were freedom-loving people, and, and we see this as a freedom issue. But now, because you were so pointed and so open and, and just continued to share argument after argument, we, we understand, or we understand better. And I think that is what we are called to do as believers in this world. We are called to enter into the fray, and we're called to speak those truths, even to an audience that's unwilling, right? We had a captive audience because until we give up the podium, we're there. <laughs> but so often, you know, you're, you're, you're interacting on the street or in your classroom or around the water cooler at work, so you only have a few moments. And it can be a scary thing. It can be a challenging thing. But there is no fruit unless seeds are planted. And so that's what we did. We planted seeds. And my understanding is that in two years, in 2024, um, the other party desires to put forth this same bill as a constitutional amendment and have the people of Colorado vote on it. And I venture to say that the seeds that were planted this March will bear fruit come that vote. And, 
and I'm anxious to see um, whether there will be some who don't push the green button this time around. On, on that point, we're talking with Representative Stephanie Lux. She really led the effort down at the state capitol against this radical abortion bill during the last legislative session. I believe for it to become a constitutional amendment, does it have to get to 60 percent? Is that correct in, the, in its voters at 55? Uh, I believe it's 55. 55 percent. So um, I am not uh, as optimistic as you are. I think over the last 10 years, um, what has happened, especially in America, is is people are moving to states that align with their worldview. Uh, red states are getting redder. Blue states are getting bluer. That's kind of what we saw during this last election. So for the past 10 years, especially with our, kind of our marijuana and our drug culture and our unrestricted abortion, we have people that go, I want to live in that culture. That that is That aligns with my worldview. And so they've been coming here. They've been coming here from Kansas and Utah and Nebraska, and they've set up the residency. And that's why, you know, it just gets – a bluer and bluer and bluer in Colorado. I think that they are absolutely going to pass a, uh, a constitutional amendment to secure abortion rights. And I think that if if it goes like California did, I remember seeing one poll that was like 30% of conservatives even supported it. I mean, it just, uh, it feels like we're not winning at the state level. We kind of got rid of Roe v. Wade at the federal level, but uh, since then, uh, we're, we're not engaging the way we need to at the state level. Are you more optimistic? Do you think we'll actually be able to stop something like a constitutional amendment? I, I do. And you know, what I was pointing to before is I, I think that some of the conversations we had on 1279 will result in some of my colleagues not voting in favor of putting that question before the people. But regardless, what happens when it comes before the people? I think that that bill is so egregious. It's so outrageous. It goes well beyond the scope of Roe v. Wade. It strikes down any opportunity for health and safety standards, for mm-hmm. having an you know opportunity for requiring licensure for the people who do it. I mean, it, it actually codifies, constitutionalizes, if, if that were to be put forth, um, the idea of back alley coat hanger abortions. It, mm-hmm. it has absolutely no restriction. And I think that the people of Colorado will soundly reject that. But moreover, I do believe that there are a lot of pro-life people in Colorado who are committed and they're passionate and they're creative and they see that they have to alter their way of doing things, that we need new wineskins, that we need new ways of, of engaging and of connecting, new ways that promote community, new ways that promote more than just the policy we're advocating for, but actually promote the good life in, in a variety of ways. And you know, there are these two ladies in my district, they're sweet ladies who are just passionate. They, they, they went door to door and did all sorts of things in support of Proposition 115 in 2020. Obviously, that proposition lost. Now, as a result, they're not giving it up. Hmm. They actually have started what I call pro-life Tupperware parties. So if you think back <laughs> in the day where somebody hosted a group of ladies to, to hear the pitch for Tupperware, well, this is kind of the same thing. They find willing individuals who will invite eight or ten of their friends for dinner or for dessert, and they bring in baby models, and they have a whole presentation that they give. And they have seen folks who came in adamantly pro-choice leave that evening, leave an hour and a half, two hours later, pro-life. And just one by one, they are discipling our communities, and then they're starting these groups in other places to disciple other communities. We're Representative Luck. We are right up against a commercial break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Frontier Freedom Hour. 